I'm Danny Hicks. Welcome to the Not-So-Secret Agent Podcast, where we learn from top real estate agents how they maintain a thriving business all while living the good life. Today's guest is actually in the studio with me. I have Chris Parks from Atlantic Coast Mortgage. Thank you so much for being on the program, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the invite. It's uh, awfully kind of you to include me. Absolutely. Well, Chris and I are about to jump on the plane to head to uh, the Mastermind Convention in San Diego. So it's kind of cool to get to uh, hook up uh, before we go and then maybe uh, even kind of talk when we're there and, and, and afterwards. That should be fun. Um, so, Chris, tell me a little bit about how you fell into this uh, crazy game of real estate and lending and that sort of thing. Wow, that's a that's a loaded question. So I've actually been in housing since 1993. Um, I started out as a mobile home repairman. You can't get much lower than that, just to let you know. <laughs> and so I've worked on mobile homes that um, that should have been burned, and I've tried to help people in housing ever since. I actually got into selling real estate through a builder in 2005. I was his director of operations, and I managed his real estate agents as well as negotiated all of his contracts for a period of about 10 years. And so... Actually, just under. I like to round up. Can you tell I'm in sales? <laughs> uh, so from 2005 to 2013, that's when we parted ways, and that's when I got into mortgages. And so I, the theory behind it was is I know so many people in real estate, you know, let me just call on those people and build a mortgage business out of it. Um, the theory wasn't quite as good in the execution, uh, but it's, you know, you know, fast forward 10 years, here we are, 2013, as I'm starting my 10th year in business, and I'm very thankful for the outcome. It's actually been very good. Yeah, it's funny how we think that friends and family are just going to come running to us. I have zero experience, but yeah, you're going to use me as your agent. Um, I had some very kind people early on that did throw me some bones. It was very kind of them to do that, but I do have to say that knowing what I know now, I was very inexperienced, didn't know what I was doing, and certainly didn't deserve their business at all. They were just very kind. But the first year, I mean, the first year in anything real estate related is absolutely terrible. So it was it was terrible. So Yeah, I was going to say my first year, I think I did 10 deals. <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I did uh, I did more than that, but it, I did 45 I, – I, I served 45 families. But in my world where you make a whole lot less per transaction, um, and back then in 2013, you're mainly dealing with foreclosures. So, in essence, it was a pretty tough gig all around just trying to get all that done. But it was, you know, having said that, it was um, – um, the struggle was real, but the struggle is actually very beneficial. So – well, they say, you know, anything, you know, anything that doesn't kill you makes you stronger, that sort of thing. The struggle is how we know what to appreciate now, and it's also where we draw those skills that make you successful today, probably. I mean, that's what I found in my career. Did, do you think that was true for you? Um, yeah, so I started off thinking that I knew what I was doing. I think that's what every entrepreneur mm. kind of does, right? I and mean, it's not until you actually, um, you know, stub your toe and maybe break a fingernail that you kind of figure out that you don't really actually know what you're doing. And that took a little while. But then, then your pride kind of kicks in and you just kind of fight your way through it. And, um, you know, just it was, it was a challenging time. I mean, I, in 2013, the economy wasn't doing great. And full disclosure, the builder did fire me because of lack of sales. You know, mm -hmm. nothing was selling, but that's how he chose not to pay unemployment. So it is, it's one of those things where out of the heat, you go from the frying pan to the boiling pot or the other way around, doesn't really matter. What ended up happening was, is it was it was a challenging time. And what I've learned is that what got me one 
through one year isn't necessarily going to get me to the next year. Now, the one thing that you can count on being the same is that every year is different. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and the top, you know, the top clients one year are not the top clients next year. So. Well, it's also, there is no silver bullet in this business. It, it's silver buckshot. We're in that general vicinity. I'm going to do these activities and see where the, you know, mm-hmm. where we're prosperous. Yeah, I think that if I were to start over, though, because I took the approach of, um, unlike the conference we're going to, which has very targeted, hey, work your, work with your relationships and work with the people you know and try to build those relationships and build a d- deeper one, I took the smile and dial approach for the first year. And so my, my regiment was, you know, Green Beret focus of telemarketers. I literally was wearing that phone out on a daily basis. I would make over 100 to 150 phone calls a day, and I would set 5 to 10 appointments per day. And that, yeah, that sounds painful. It was very painful. Um, and then what it, the, the crazy thing is, is I went back and looked at my numbers at the end of the first year, and all of my business except for one transaction came from the people I already knew. That's hilarious. I mean, I, I was really <laughs> lucky, I guess. I found yeah. referral like right off the bat. Like literally I've never done anything but what I do now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I make a few extra calls. I call different people. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I've definitely tweaked that, but I've never done anything else. So I've, I've definitely been blessed in that. But that's funny that you went Green Beret style and still wound up with the same results and Oh, it's just absolutely crazy. And if, and then what I realized is if I'd have spent more time focusing on those relationships, I probably would have had a lesser um, lesser need for a long runway because literally the first year was terrible. The second year was pretty bad too, but first year was just absolutely the roughest thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> but you use that, right? Like you're like, okay, I, I've touched the bottom. I know where it is. Oh, yeah, I think I drug bottom for a while. You can probably see it right across the side of my face. <laughs> but yeah, I know you touched bottom and it was definitely it was definitely one of those things that uh, once you started seeing success, I mean, the crazy thing is, is you that light bulb goes off, you know, once you're like, I can make it doing this. And I remember that light bulb going off because even though the the craziness of what I was doing, I was actually building momentum. Mm-hmm. And so in building the momentum, what I found was is that uh, that momentum really springboarded uh, with some time. And by the end of my second year, I remember getting my first um, million-dollar month, which in my business is not like a million-dollar month in yours, but it's, it's you know, it was one of those where you got the check and you're like, I can actually make it in this business. I can actually feed my family. I can I can pay my bills. I can... And fast forward, I mean, you know, it's rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And so now that you've got a groove, you know what you're doing, the track is the same. It's, you know, you're serving families at a very high level. You're helping them. You're assessing what they need. You're giving them direction. Sometimes you're helping them for years. I helped one guy. (laughs) This is a crazy story. But I helped one guy who was homeless. He was living in the shed in somebody's backyard. I think it was a family member's backyard, but he was living in the shed. And I helped him you know, established credit and helped him fix his, his credit, helped him learn how to put a budget together and save. It was a two-year process, but, you know, and I didn't do it for him. I just kind of showed him what to do. Two years later, he moved into his house. Can you do it for someone? I don't feel like you can. No, I think that's the misnomer with today's culture. Everybody wants you to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the truth is, is that like we started the conversation, the struggle is real, but without the struggle, you're really not getting anything of value. 
Yeah, I always use the analogy of the personal trainer. Like, they can tell you to do sit-ups, but you've got to do the sit-ups. Right. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. They can say, hey, look, do, fix your form and that sort of thing. You're going to be more successful listening to them. But the whole idea that they're just going to be, you know, do it for you is, is, is not true in anything. I think that what it comes down to with that is you have to have a motivation that's beyond your comfort level mm -hmm. in order to be able to take you there. Um, I mean, most people refer to it as your why. Right. Okay, which is actually one of your questions. What uh, is yeah. your why? Is you have to have a motivation that's greater than than the comfort level that you're currently in. And because quite frankly, <clears throat> at the builder, I was very comfortable. I was making a decent salary, you know, but it was I was never getting anywhere, but I was it was a decent salary. And then, you know, you start I got into mortgages and I remember I actually had a builder, one of the big builders in town, come and ask me to work for him. And and believe it or not, and I was struggling with something terrible. But I remember looking into the future and then looking at my present and looking at and I felt like I would have given away a huge part of myself to surrender when I could see the momentum coming. And so, and the independence. I mean, I love the independence. And so what I, what I, what I found out was is, as I dug deeper and deeper and deeper into what I was doing is that the real reason for what I, I I'm not motivated by money. And so some people are motivated by that that Miami lifestyle where things flashing, you got the cars and all that stuff. I'm not a, I'm I am motivated by paid for. Okay, so mm -hmm. I don't necessarily want to carry any debt. I've seen what that looks like. I don't like it. But I'm actually more motivated for serving the family, and so helping people accomplish their dreams of home ownership, like that homeless guy I was telling about helping him get on his feet, but also not just them. I mean, even the people who, who are buying their second or third home or investment home, I'm motivated by helping them get, get what they need to, to make sure that they're accomplishing whatever their goals are, whether it's their first time home and this is going to be the place where they raise their family, or this is their third home, which is how they're going to be paying for vacations or how they're going to be paying for kids colleges or how other things like that you know having been on both sides of those you know having having seen the need and been feeling the need personally and then seeing what it, what it takes to get there some people just need a little bit of an orientation a little bit of an education a little bit of a push and so that's that's really kind of getting back to the piece where you have to have something bigger than your comfort level that was that was part of it is is at the service of people and so when you're looking at clients i've served people who the smallest mortgage i've done was $46,000 is that even legal i mean most banks won't even take them yeah i was going to say i mean they won't even touch them and i and i did it just not because i wanted it because but because that family needed the help and nobody else would touch it right yeah some of the ones that are the most gratifying are the ones we make the least on. That's definitely the case. Yeah. And they're, they're the most appreciative and believe it or not, their appreciation goes really far for us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You, you want somebody to see the value that you're bringing. Like I've had really high dollar deals where, Hey, he could have jumped on the phone. He could have called anyone he wanted and he knew it. And he was not afraid to tell me that, you know what I mean? Now, did he think I did a good job? Sure. Did he tell me that? No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Most definitely with that. It does, It does. Uh, they are the most work. Anything that's, um, especially the first-time homebuyers, they tend to be a lot of work. But those who need a lot of help, they just need a lot of work. Just, it, it, it's okay. That's part of serving the family. You know, what I have learned is that those that need your help will wear your phone out. But those who don't need your help will call you once. Mm -hmm. so, so, <laughs> so you have to learn how to pick. Mm -hmm. Well, are their goals obtainable, right? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be willing to do those sit-ups? I mean, 
you know. Well, that's a huge piece of it is when you're looking at a client and if you give them a set of dues and they don't spend their time doing them, you really know that they're not that motivated. They're not motivated to move past where their current comfort level is. Mm -hmm. Like this homeless guy that I was telling you about, he moved past it. He was like, okay, what do I need to do? Okay, well, he had a job. It wasn't the job. It's he needed to focus on what he was doing with the money that came from that job. And then we had to challenge him to find something better. And then we had to challenge him to budget. And then we had to challenge him to pay off his his student loans. And then we had to, you know, or get him current. And then we had to challenge him to save money. And then went, two years later, it took a long time to get him there. But he was willing. He was not just able, he was willing. And he took the steps to do that. And And then at some point he was ready. So those challenging times right i mean from from a shed to a house is a a big step did he have the shed moved to his current property because i feel like that you know hang on to it as a reminder um you know that's a great question but i think it was a shed of a somebody else's rented house so So, so no it wasn't his shed to take okay that's fair yeah so So we talked about your why kind of helping people who's on your team now because when you started i'm sure it was just you smiling and dialing as hard as you could and and now Mm -hmm. it's it's not that you have a business i do i have a business i actually have a team of uh, experts that help me Um, i have two assistants currently i have uh, amanda and uh, we call her nella because she has a really long name that nobody can pronounce in english so nella is her name and uh, they both they both assist me she's bilingual in spanish that's part of the reason so uh, and I'm bilingual in Spanish, so we can we kind of work back and forth with those with all sorts of clients. Um, but yeah, I have Amanda and I have Nella, and uh, then I have a team behind me that really is uh, very supportive. I have um, underwriters, I have processors, I have closers, I have all sorts of people who can help and assist. But the main two who are extremely vested in my business are going to be Nella and Amanda, and and they're. You know, Amanda and I have been, um, she actually was uh, assigned to me back in 2013 when I first got into the business. And so we've kind of gone our separate ways. We've come back together, gone our separate ways, come back together. And now we've been together in business for for approximately five years now. So it's been, a, it's been a good thing. She's very dedicated. She has the same service mentality of trying to serve the family. And so does Nella. And so Nella comes from Venezuela, which mm-hmm. Venezuela has a crazy situation going on there. And she got out during that crazy situation, came here to this country. And she's worked hard to try to establish herself. She got married in this country. She's now set down roots. And so it, and, and the, the, the Latino client or the international client, I work a lot with the international client, um, they, they're trying to start over in many cases. Mm-hmm. And in her case, she was starting over. She left and has political asylum trying to get out and, and make things happen. And so she understands the struggle and the struggle of the immigrant is very real and they have to set something up. I think that's really cool. I, you know, and I always joke around with, with my clients cause a majority of my clients are first generation immigrants. Like, uh, the, the joke we've got going is like, I'm completely an American. I'm not bilingual in any way, shape or form, mm-hmm. but yet somehow I keep finding this client. Like I, I wear full bathing suits to the beach. I love ranch dressing. Like I'm as American as they can get. Every Fried stereotype, chicken, right, you, you name it, that stereotype <laughs> is there, but I'm like the biggest Serbian realtor in Richmond. Oh, really? I, I'm very big in the Sicilian community. 
Mm. Uh, but that's that's where my business comes from. And I find I just love the way they look at things. Right. Mm-hmm. We live in, in arguably one of the best countries in the world. The yeah. opportunities are there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't think so, travel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and they see that and they remind me to look at it that way, which I love. Mm-hmm. Like, I love seeing it through their eyes. When you see, you hand them the keys to a property and, and they're like, well, yeah, but uh, in my country, this wouldn't have even been possible. Oh, yeah. It's it's crazy the way that they do look at it. And it's crazy how hard they're willing to work to get there. We take in our country here, unfortunately, there's too many people who have taken this lightly and, mm-hmm. and they never pay off their home. They never... They're so comfortable with that that they never have any any opportunity to improve themselves. They just, but that's the that's the mentality that mm-hmm. what's going on right here now. Whereas my average international client pays their house off every seven years. Hmm. And my average, I had one guy. This is going to be an absolutely nutty crazy for those of you who are on this podcast paying attention. I had a landscaper who is paid in essence eighteen dollars an hour, eighteen dollars an hour, but he was a millionaire. He owned five properties, and all of them were free and clear. And the average uh, price, if he were to sell these properties today, was three hundred thousand piece. Yeah, well over a million. Well over a million, and he was getting ready to buy another one, which he planned. He was going to put, get this, he was going to put fifty percent down on another three hundred thousand dollar home, <laughs> and he was going to have it paid off in seven years. But that and. Everybody, like, I'm speechless because I, how many clients do we deal with where you're like, look, we need $10,000 for a down payment? And they're like, can't do it. Can't do it. Not going to do it. And, and they make double that. They, oh, they make an incredible amount of money. But this guy, here's the thing is our priorities are so screwed up because you go look at the ladies. They have all these fancy fingernails. They have the latest phone. They have the latest hairdo. They have the latest lashes. They have the latest everything. They even have their teeth extremely whitened. And, and like glowing white, you know, like, like, like serious stuff. And, but here's what we get into is that that cost just alone for the fingernails every month. I have no idea what it costs, but let's say it's a hundred bucks. That's 1200 a year. Okay. And then you add that to the phones. The phones are not cheap anymore. You're dealing with $1,200 there, but if you're trading them in, you're making the payments on the other place, which is on your cell phone bill. So people just don't conceptualize some of the stuff that they're doing and they're, they're setting themselves up for disaster. Well, they underestimate what they can do. They overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in seven. In right. this case, right? Right. They go, well, that's, you know, I, I had a rough day. I need a piece of pizza or an ice cream or a whatever. Yeah, but get this. Let's go back to this landscaper guy, okay? He is making on each one of those. He's got five homes. He's living in one. He's got four rentals. He's making $2,000 per rental. Mm-hmm. That's $8,000 a month in passive income, not including his regular $18 an hour landscaping job. And so when you start looking at it from that standpoint, this dude, this dude is making, is making hay and he is going to live a very comfortable life into retirement because he focused. Now he's an immigrant. He, he got here, you know, who knows when, but he bought, he bought the homes and he fixed the homes and he rented the homes. And he's continued that cycle throughout. And it's really made a a great thing. But think about it from this standpoint right here. How did he get his first one? That's what I mean by serving the family. Is how can you create a mentality with people? How can you create 
that atmosphere with people that when they come to you, they understand that you're really truly there to serve them and to help them get to that next level. That's why when a lot of people say, hey, well, I'm thinking I'd like to invest in, mm-hmm. in real estate, many times I'm talking to them about, well, then let's not buy the $600,000 house now. Let's buy the $200,000 house now or $250,000 house now. And then let's trade up. Let's go to the next house in a year. Let's bu- or let's buy a duplex or a triplex. Start getting that rental income because there are provisions within some of these loans to where if you're going to occupy a duplex, triplex, or quad, you can get it for 3.5% down. Mm-hmm. And you can totally do this. I have a, a military guy. Get this. This is, this is phenomenal information. This guy right here, he's like the lowest enlisted level. Okay, mm-hmm. and he went to Fort Lee, right, which is just down the street here. Yep. He decided to buy a duplex in Petersburg, like three years ago, like when it was still kind of like still morphing into that direction where it's starting to help. Has it stopped? It's it's morphing in the I'm right just, direction. Yeah, I'm just but but he bought the duplex for like one hundred and ten thousand. That duplex now is worth like two fifty. And he's and, and and just this last year he vacated it and went and bought a new one for himself. And so now he's got two rentals going at the same point in time as what he's doing. And we were able to show him the math and how this would work so that he could actually perform it. And so this is where the process of the loan officer plays either to the advantage of these clients or doesn't. Because when the loan officer's having a meeting with them, is it really truly about just that transaction or is it about their life? Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I'm looking at people and I, I meet with people and I talk to people, I want to know what they're trying to do. What's the strategy with this house? What's the short-term strategy? What's the long-term strategy? Because if the short-term strategy is I just need a place to live, well, that's great. No sense in throwing money away. I get it. But are you going to convert that to your first rental? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes all it takes is for somebody to expose the vision so that they know what that vision can be and that they can step in and make it happen. Yeah, I've done... We did what was called the snowball. I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm-hmm. That's what I did personally. We bought one, we poured all the money in it, we got it paid for, and then you know you do the next one and the next one and the next one. And so now I'm what ten deep mm-hmm. in properties, and I don't have them all paid for. We've mm-hmm. leveraged and been able to do some other things, but that's definitely right up the vein of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's very possible. It's very attainable. Now, it's a little trickier than it was a couple of years ago because where we live is the third fastest appreciating city in the country. So if you bought three years ago, it was a lot cheaper than it is today. Uh, but to your point, there are going to be some areas where the, the opportunities are still there. Like you mentioned Petersburg and mm-hmm. Hopewell, right. uh, mm-hmm. Prince George. Uh, there's, there's definitely ones there. Uh, and what I've been telling clients is it's like a bullseye, right? You know, Richmond is kind of the center and everything radiates out. You can have, you know, there's three terms that we're dealing with. You've got condition, you've got location, and then you've got price. And you can only have two of them. If you want the location, then you're going to pay the higher price, right? The location and the condition, right? You're going to pay the price. Mm-hmm. If you want, you know, the other, then, then it's not as, then you can get a lower price, right? If you, if you can let the location slip a little bit and maybe go a little further south, and not be within five minutes of the restaurants and that sort of thing that you're going to eat at once a month anyway, you can drive that day, mm-hmm. then, then it is attainable. You know what I mean? But I mean, again, going back to the mindset of what we're, we're working with a buyer. Mm-hmm. What are your goals? Where do you see yourself? Hey, buy that house in Hopewell now. It will be worth more. We'll sell that. We'll use that money. Even if you're not going to do investment, 
we'll use that money as a down payment and you'll move up and up and up mm-hmm. as opposed to, well, I can't get what I want. So never mind. Yeah. I think that people are short-sighted when it comes to that, because I think that, and I'll just kind of share my story. Just, it is very personal with, when it comes to that. Um, because when I first bought my first house back in 1996, um, it makes me feel extremely old and I know I look it, but I don't feel it. <laughs> but here's the thing is in 1996, um, I wasn't making a ton of money in 1996. We were fresh, you know, freshly married. I had two kids. I had a third on the way. We bought a house for $42,000. Now that sounds amazing until you find out that it was an abandoned home. It didn't have any windows. It didn't have any doors. And I actually had to put all of those in prior to closing just to be able to close. That was a condition of closing. And so, and my realtor didn't, didn't do what they probably should have done, which is say, hey, Chris, look at the risk you're taking in putting windows and doors into somebody else's house before you actually own the property. Nobody told me that. They didn't right. tell me the risk. I just like, oh, it has to be done. Well, let's go. So I went and I, and I, and I didn't put expensive stuff in. I just kind of threw stuff in so that I could close on the deal with the idea of changing them out later. Okay. But nowadays, kids want granite countertops. They want they want the the three car garage with the 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 riding mower and and stuff like that. Whereas you know the struggle was real. The struggle was extremely real. I don't know what your house was at the beginning, but it's those are the things that I think we've missed out on. The generation right now is totally missed out on the fact that the struggle is real, and that it needs to be there so that you can build beyond that. Well, knowing how to learn, right? Mm-hmm. It's like if you go to like a kid athlete. The, the really talented four-star recruits rarely become Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the guy who got cut, has a chip on his shoulder. You know, Drew Brees, I mean, I feel like they've gone through it, you know. Oh, and yeah. said, like, all these guys had adversity, and they learned how to learn, and they just wanted it worse than anyone. So there's a great book about that. Have you read There's No Plan B for Your A Game? Yeah, they gave oh, it to us. Oh, my. Was that a transformational book for me? Mm. It's, it's funny how certain things just hit you right. Yeah. It, it, it opened just no different than what we're talking about with some of these people, with clients, when you start orienting them t- to, you know, how to make it work or orienting them how to, how to invest, how to buy, how to set yourself up. When the light bulb goes off, it's like, holy cow. You know, it's a process. Just no different than what you just shared. And, and I also found it funny because that was Bo Eason, and he talked at uh, Peak, mm-hmm. right? And out of all of the guests, because when we go to these conventions, these are class A, top end, you know, speakers. He was my least favorite because we'd heard the podcast and I said, man, he's going to come in and he's going to do his thing. And he's very aggressive in its sales and that sort of thing. And I'm double relational. Like I'm as relational as they get. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I, my coach has to remind me to make money. She's like, yeah, it's really great that you helped them with this, this and this. Did you? Did you sell him a house? And I'm like, oh, no, my bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so to hear mm-hmm. him, he was my favorite. Like, by far, I got the most out of him. When I left Arizona, I was like, okay, it's okay to be a salesman. It's okay. Like, mm-hmm. let's go. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to help people that, that won't change, but it's also okay to, to be intentional mm-hmm. in our business, right? To, to remember that this is a business. It's not a charity. And in order for us to be able to serve, because that's the other thing. Uh, same same thing with agent propositions. If I give you all the commission, there's no money to do the things to make it rain, right? There's no to, to make the phone ring. There's no money for that because right. I've given you, you know, mm-hmm. every dollar there is, and then there isn't any in the budget mm-hmm. to continue to grow our business. Mm-hmm. 
So it's okay to remember that. And it's a balancing act, right? The value proposition has to be there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they need to make some money. I'm not saying that they, we shouldn't be paying and I, they should make a comfortable living. But at the same time, we can't give it away until it hurts because it will hurt everyone. So what do you think the what do you think? So this is just a total rhetorical, you know, maybe not an answerable on this podcast, but what do you think that needs to be? That is the question. I, you know, the number that I have been doing is about 30%. Like for the team. You, you know, I've heard 50/50. We've had all sorts of people on here. Uh, I think a lot of that's going to be dependent on price point too. Like when they're taking higher percentages, I'm finding they're living in Salt Lake City, Utah, or Washington, D.C. There's so much money. Like the price point is so high that 50% is a good living or, or a lower percentile. In Richmond, we tend to be in a pretty inexpensive city for the most part. So the question with that, because that's, that's something that's actually pervasive in the mortgage industry right now, because the, no different than the solo agent in real estate where you, you're, you're limited. Yeah. Oh, very. Very limited. And so you're probably in the process of building a team around yourself and things like that. I'm the same way. I'm saying I'm limited. Now, let's go back and you can throw out stats all you want, but 2021, 22, 23, 23 was the rougher of the year so far. 21, I served 314 families. I'm going to tell you that 314 families by yourself with an assistant, because I only had one assistant at the time, is about enough to kill you, just to let you know. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm actually in the process of trying to reinvent myself to try to build some of that out so that I can serve more families and cast the vision. Because here's the thing that I've learned from that book with Bo Eason is if you can cast the vision for what you're trying to accomplish, who you're trying to serve, and you can get a bunch of people who are interested in serving at the same level, the same category, and helping people like this homeless guy or helping people like this immigrant, helping people like these families who are just like this veteran – get them set up so that they can make decisions for the long term in their life. And then they can they can start earlier than I did. I didn't actually start investing in homes until two years ago. I bought my first investment home. I wish I had started sooner. <clears throat> totally wish I had done it. But I didn't. So if you can start casting that vision and getting appropriate people in there, how many more people could you serve at such a high level and how many lives can you actually transform and change? That's, that's the question that I'm wrestling with right now and what I'm actually doing to reinvent myself. Well, it's also an important one. It's really, really tricky for us. We believe we are, you know, we're Superman, right? Like you built this business, nobody's going to serve them as high as you are, right? Nobody's going to do it on the level that we do. And at some point, we have to come to that realization where I'm doing 10 in a month. I can't pay attention to them the way, you know, my buyer's agent or or showing agent can. Right? They have three. It's the most important deal to them because they're not working that many. Right. You know what I mean? And so that acceptance was really big for me. And I'm still really working on the kinks. And then the other thing, if you're doing this team, do you have enough coming in to feed them? Right? Because you're... We do the system, so they're supposed to be working their own database. But if they could do that, they don't need you, right? Right. Well, some people are not set up for sales. Sure. Okay, and some people are more set up. So the sales mentality, the way I see it, is you're not, you're, not, you're not really there to process. You're there to hunt. And the hunters are not good processors. Well, they're literally opposite scales. What I'm seeing is that the, the more focus. So this is so this is good start back to almost the beginning of our conversation where I said, remember I was saying 
that I was doing the shotgun approach. And in essence, I, there wasn't a networking meeting I didn't go to in town. There wasn't a phone call that I didn't make. There wasn't somebody I didn't follow up with. There wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't. I was like shotgun. But 95, 98% of my business the first year came from people I already knew. Okay. Coming back to that, I was hunting. I was very good at hunting. But when things would come in, chasing that pay stub down was not my strength. Now, I'd get it. We'd still close. We'd still close on time. But that process was very bumpy. There are those who would absolutely wilt and die if they had to go to a networking meeting. They would they'd just wilt and die. They're just not meant for that kind of thing. But they would process all day long. They would, they would you know, using the hunting scenario, they would be skinning and processing that meat all the time. And that's what they love to do. And I think that's kind of what you're looking at with buyer's agents is most of your buyer's agents are probably a little bit better suited to handle what's in front of them Mm -hmm. rather than do what you do, which is go generate, which is to go make it happen. And I've seen that I, that while I can process and I can probably do it at a very high level, um, that's not my, that's not what drives me. That's not the highest and best use. Well, it's not even best use. It's going back to this book that we were talking about. What drives you? Right. And what drives you and your why behind it, if you focus in, the more the more granular you become about what it is that you're trying to accomplish, what I see is the more granular you get, the more your results are in that area. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I'm reinventing my process right now to try to think through how to get to that point where I can... I can cast the vision to where I have a bunch of processors who have the same vision of helping these people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need people who are well-heeled too, who may buy that four hundred dollars to $600,000 home as well. But I want them to, whether they're buying a $600,000 home and this is their home for the next 30 years that they're going to be living in, or this is their first home and they're an immigrant coming in straight off of whatever boat it was that they came in on, we're serving that family at such a high level to where they, number one, they understand what they're getting into. Number two, if the loan type isn't what they need for the long term, but it's what they need to get in the door, we're going to show them how to change that so that they can build wealth and not be paying for stupid mortgage insurance that doesn't disappear for the next 30 years. Right. We're going to show them how to refinance and when to refinance, what the cost is to refinance, why it's not a good idea to refinance back into a 30-year, why it's a good idea to do certain things. And you'd be, you'd be amazed at how many people don't know that. So what you're saying is that you're providing more value. We're looking at the family different. We're serving the family. We're attracting the people that want to serve the family the way we do. Right. How do we communicate that to people that don't know us? How do we get that phone to ring the first time? That's a great question. I don't know that answer. That, that's, the, that's the million dollar how do you make it work kind of thing. I don't know the answer to that one. I was going to say, because we've talked about that as an, on an agent level. It's like, I do know more than a lot of other agents. Right. You know, I'm a class A contractor. I know how all the uh, how, I know how houses work. Mm-hmm. Now I don't do contracting work. I have that license, you know, and and I grew up in construction. I just know a lot about houses and I know the process and and what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, the trying to serve people, but how we get that message out to attract more people. Like for you, I would imagine a lot of your clients to come through agents. Yeah, I would say 90, 90% of them come through, through. well, let's go back. It's not quite 90%. Um, I have about 75% come through real estate agents. Mm-hmm. About 
15% come in through Google and about 10% from past clients. I'm impressed that you get anything through Google. <laughs> uh, Non-paid for, but it does work. I'm actually closing a couple here this month. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, I, I want to say I'm 87% by referral. And the rest of the percentile is, has more to do with, like, I met them in person, face-to-face. Mm-hmm. I've yet to get marketing to the point where it's at the tipping point. Like, everything short of the tipping point in my mind was wasted. I mean, it's all momentum. It's going in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not, you know, I might have met them at an open house or something like that. It, mm-hmm. it, it's not where they're going, hey, look, we see your presence online. We see your videos. We're going to call you. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and, and you know me well enough to know I've got a lot. I mean, we've got podcasts and videos mm-hmm. and restaurant videos and all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But none of them have hit. I mean, I've, I found them all to be validators. Do, are they valuable? Yes, to people I already know. But as far as like anyone new going, wow, you know, like that hasn't happened for me yet. Yeah, there's there's definitely an inflection point there that sometimes it seems to it takes a while for the general public to read into it. But there's so many people who who market like that too that. I have to say that our culture is attracted to the shiny penny and to the flashy, the mm-hmm. flashy lights. They're not necessarily attracted to the people who really, truly are vested in them. Well, it goes back to, you know, another speaker, Ron Tite, and the, the concept car versus the assembly line, right? Mm-hmm. The, they make the Corvette because mm-hmm. it attracts all that attention, mm-hmm. but they make way more money on Chevy Cruises. Oh, I'm sure. You know what I mean? They sell, mm-hmm. y- you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The normal family boring car is where Chevy's mm-hmm. making their money. Mm-hmm. No, they need the Corvette to make you pay attention to them, but, you know, it's the same the same theory. What uh, So what tweaks do, have you had to make? Because I always go to the, the conferences, and I know they say, oh, there's all these other entrepreneurs at the conference. Not everybody's a realtor. But most of us are realtors. So, so how do you make that tweak? Do they have a different spin on it for you guys? Oh, you're talking about the Buffini conference yeah. we're coming to. No, actually, they don't. They don't have a unique spin. Um, and sometimes I feel like I have to spin it myself mm-hmm. in order to be able to make it work. Uh, my coach, Aaron, he's he's been very helpful with more. I would say that more than anything, intuitively, we kind of know what we need to be doing mm-hmm. intuitively. Sometimes the biggest issues that we face are mindset issues. And so I would say that the biggest benefit that I've received from my coach is mindset Okay. Um, when it comes to that. Now, having said that, the tweaks that you're constantly making, um, lead gen is always a question, is how do you scale it? Mm-hmm. And the scaling is the biggest issue that I'm facing right now. And I kind of explained a little bit of how I'm getting ready to scale that because, in essence, what I'm starting to do is trying to get my assistants more involved in the processing and leaving me a little bit more on just specifically the hunting side. Now, that has yet to materialize completely because Mm -hmm. we're still tweaking our way through that. And there are some gaps in knowledge as we go along. I mean, I've had to be in the Green Beret trenches for so long doing this stuff that, in essence... In essence, I didn't, you know, don't really think much about every activity. I just kind of do it because I know it. But now I have to download that activity to my to my assistants, who in essence have to be able to duplicate it, but also duplicate it at an extremely high level. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's something that's probably going to take a little bit of time to go with. But I think that we'll be ready for all of that by the spring market of 2024. And so it's it's all coming. It's just one of those things that if you you don't realize the cracks in your business until you have more business than you can handle and you right. can see the pressure that you can 
the pressure that it creates. And so 2020 and 21, which were like at the height of what we were doing, um, that's where that's where the cracks in the business showed up and where we had to kind of start looking at how to plug them and how just to get through the year. But then now we're starting to really address those and put on thicker layers and try to put this put this into a point where it makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody's got to do that. And it's kind of the calm before the storm right now, right? Mm. Like we know it's coming. Yeah. Like businesses, you know, if there's anything on market right now, now's a great time to buy Mm -hmm. because, you know, it is a little slight bit slower. And now that depends on price point and that depends on area and location and Mm -hmm. all of those things. But, but that's what I'm seeing. I don't know if it does, though, because I don't know if you saw the latest article that just came out um, where it was, uh, I don't remember, I'd have to go back and look who wrote it, but they were relaying information that they saw on these major uh, platforms like Zillow and Redfin. And they said that both of those platforms now have said that the bottom is over when it comes to housing. Mm-hmm. that we're going to be seeing a code right back now. So what that means for those of you in the public, you guys thought it was going to go like this and then start working its way back up slowly like we saw in 2009 through 2016. That's not the case. What we've seen is this, is a very, very, very small dimple. And that dimple, really, if you didn't take advantage of it, it's it's almost, it's gone. I'm still seeing, <clears throat> statistically, I think you're right. I'm not arguing that in our area i still think there is a slight lull but when i say that lull it's like the house that nobody wants it's yeah it's the ugly stepchild right two years ago there was no ugly the ugly stepchild flew to right like it could be total garbage and somebody be like i'll overpay for that yeah yeah we don't have that right now we mm-hmm. have like well it doesn't have any doors or windows and there's no chris parks to buy it so <laughs> yeah. you know it's there's gonna no sit one there a minute stupid enough to pay for that <laughs> oh that's what i'm saying it's it's gonna sit for a minute right now yeah and and part of what i'm trying to get across the sellers is y- you do need to make it right if you make it right you're gonna get paid mm-hmm. you don't make it right you, br- you rush it to market eh, you know maybe you're gonna get paid or maybe you're gonna chase it down mm-hmm. um i will say this the other st- tricky part is pricing Mm-hmm. There isn't a lot of inventory. So without a lot of inventory in sales, because we had low inventory the past two years, but everything was moving, right? right. So we still had a lot of transactions. Mm-hmm. This year, we don't have that. So going to price things is a lot trickier. And month to month, interest rate you know, goes up. We're in this market. Like the, There's been so many micro markets this year that have been tricky. You've brought stuff to the market that you was like, oh, this is multiple offers, you know, no problem. And it's sad. Mm-hmm. And you've had other properties where we brought in and, and you were like, man, I don't know about this one. And I think I priced it too high. And, and damned if you didn't get a, a multiple offer on that one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that part has been tricky from the agent standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, just figuring out where we are in that week. I, I was even joking, like, if it rained that weekend, maybe you're a little slower. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, mm-hmm. or it happened to be the weekend everybody went to on vacation. Yeah, that, that seems to be July for me. Everybody went on vacation in July. So... That's okay. You know, they, they need a vacation. A proper vacation is what I'm calling it. <laughs> well, you could finance them a beach house, right? They're That's on vacation. Right. Tell them to yeah. look around. Pick one out. Let's yeah. do this. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really – there's a lot of crazy things that are happening in the market right now with that. But I, I do have to say that overall, homes are still very very much selling. People are getting oh, – yeah. they're getting a good deal if they're sitting in the in, – in the, they're, they're getting a good deal if they're willing to jump in. And by that, what I mean is it is a little bit of that dimple right now. Right. We've got a little yeah. bit of that dimple. Now, whether we're coming out of that dimple or not, it's hard to say, but more than likely we'll be out of it. 
especially if if the rate forecast holds. Yeah. The, the rate forecast being fourth quarter, first quarter, we're going to start seeing dip, and third quarter, fourth quarter of next year is going to be the trough. If that's the case, everybody's getting back in. It's just going to be the way it is. And the sellers are going to take advantage of it because we're going to see that dimple, and then we're going to see prices go back up. Well, we need the sellers to take advantage of it to create inventory because part mm-hmm. of the problem with I'm running into is the seller's going, hey, man, I'd move, but where am I going to go? Right. I don't see what I want. Mm-hmm. It's not worth Mm-hmm. giving up my 3%. People love their interest rate, which mm-hmm. is weird right now, but they don't love it that much. They love it because they haven't seen the house making it worth it to move. Right. Yeah. It, there was a great article about that. They call them golden handcuffs. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, fun times. Oh. So let me ask, we're about to go to an event. Um, what is your biggest takeaway from an event, Ben? Favorite quote, biggest takeaway? Um. So I've always been a huge uh, Buffini fan, which is the event we're going to. Uh, even before I got in formally into their coaching system, I got into, I believed in their format, mm-hmm. uh, which, is, which is treating people the way they should be treated and accessorizing them and, and, and helping them uh, not only accomplish what their goals are, but set them up for even greater things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I believe that. One of the things, I don't remember if it came from him or not, but he, I believe it came from him. One of the statements that he made that, that, that attracted me early on is if you want to get somewhere you've never been, you're going to have to do a few things you've never done. Oh, and, I like that. Yeah. And so that to me was, was, and I don't remember if it came from him or a speaker at one of his events or where exactly it came from. I may be even attributing it to somebody who's not even related to him. I don't know. But I do distinctly remember that that specific one early on. And that one actually helped me get through a lot of the tougher times mm-hmm. because it's like, I've never been here. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to go there. So that means I'm going to have to do a few things that are extremely uncomfortable in order to be able to make that. And that's part of that book, too, No Plan B for Your A Game. That's You have to step outside of your comfort level and practice at a higher level in order to be able to achieve what you're looking to accomplish. And that's been that's been that quote has been something that stayed with me for ten years now with with this because it seems like in this business if you want to succeed and you want to there's no such thing as rinse and repeat because you really are spending your time doing things that you aren't necessarily comfortable doing. Yeah, I like that. I, I, that that's a good quote. That's one that I don't remember, but I like it. I'm definitely uh, I have a whole list of quotes for my. Uh, personal philosophy. Oh, really? Yes, I do. And I write them down. And uh, Mm -hmm. when I'm having a hard time, I go back and read and go, all right, I remember where I was when I liked that one. And that one's going to stick with me. Uh, Right now, I really like the Tracy Chapman song. Um, When they talk about like, you know, and I tweak the lyric to to fit what I want, but it's like, uh, we have to make a decision. We got to, you know, we got to make you sing it for us. Go ahead. Sing oh, it yeah. I'm beautiful voice. Everyone's <laughs> dying to hear that. You know, there's only two people listening to this podcast. Yeah, that's right. Go and ahead. my mom is already on the fence. I don't want to push her off. Yeah. You know, the uh, but but basically it says, hey, we got to make a change today or we got to live and die this way. Like yeah. that. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. You have to make that decision. You've got to put that on your plan and then you got to go do it. Mm-hmm. The whole idea that, that the market going back to our buyers. The market's not coming to you. Mm-mm. The prices aren't going to drop to where you can afford that house. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen. So are you going to go save some money for that down payment? Are you going to adjust your, your expectations and maybe get a house in a little less condition uh, or, or, or move a little further out? But what are you going to do? Or are you going to sit there and sign another lease? Right. 
yeah. as, as the third fastest appreciating city goes on by you. Right. You know, because it, it's not going to get easier. Not yeah. here. Mm-hmm. So here's a crazy statement about the lease. And this is, I don't, you know, going back to your, your people here. Um, did you know that if somebody's paying like $2,800 a month in a lease, that they're paying about $34,000 a year in that lease? Mm-hmm. And that that $34,000 a year in that lease could actually be equity, meaning that you can sell it at some point and keep it, mm-hmm. compared to paying for somebody else's equity? Well, you're always paying a mortgage, right? Yeah, you are. But that's nobody thinks about it from that standpoint. They just think about, okay, I'm comfortable with my rent payment. I got to live somewhere. I might as well just keep paying rent. Well, that's $33,000 at the end of the year that you're never getting back in any shape or form unless it's equity in a house that you're making the payment towards. Well, that goes back to like, oh, your interest rate's 7%, but it's 100% of your paying rent, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that old famous uh, analogy there. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole date the raid and marry the house and all the things that we've come up with on social media to tell you people. Yeah, but nobody's – I think that until they're ready to absorb it and hear it, I don't think it's going it, to it, – once again, you have to be ready for the message. You have to be open to change. And sometimes until it's too painful to stay the same way is, is, is how long it's going to take. Well, that goes back to – do you remember the – they put it on the screen. It was like the things – that you have to do to change. And I don't, I'm butchering it because I don't have mm-hmm. them in front of me, but I definitely wrote that down. And it was like, it had one of them was that it has to be painful, mm-hmm. y- you know, or else you're not going to make the change. If, if you're numb, if you're comfortable, you're just not going to do it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll, I'll post that in the show notes, but I, I thought that one was really cool. That was mm-hmm. another thing I really got up from it. Well, Chris, thanks so much for taking so much time with me. Uh, I appreciate everything yeah, you shared. Yeah, it's been really you. fun. Mm-hmm, it has. I, I hope that there are some nuggets in there for whoever might be listening, if your mom's still listening. <laughs> I don't know. We might have lost her. I, yeah, dad, Dad's there, though. Dad, he uh, loves dad, it. He's, he's, uh, he's diehard. Uh, uh, you know, I don't think it matters what we do. He's on. Oh, uh, good. The, yeah. uh, so, so tell everybody where they can find you and kind of the best way to reach you uh, if they need your help. So that's a great question. So the best way to reach me is always through your favorite real estate agent. Uh, work with your favorite real estate agent first and obviously call Danny and he can help you with that. Otherwise, you can go to my website, myrvamortgage.com and all my information is right there. You can find me pretty easy. I'm not hiding. And, and you're licensed in Virginia and Florida. Virginia and Florida, yeah. Just starting to do some work in Florida. Um, trying to, you know, work a few winners down there, which would not be a bad thing. Oh, you don't have to go bragging. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Uh, the love of being a lender. You guys can be a little bit more remote than we can. I, that is that is the benefit of uh, of that is you're still working 24-7 like most realtors. Sure. But, but at least you can, as long as you have Wi-Fi, you can work from anywhere. That's so. great. Well, when we get down to uh, San Diego, I will uh, point out some of my friends who uh, are in the Florida market. Ah, there we go. Try to help out. I'm, um, I'm actually getting ready to market to the Florida market, so that'll be fun. Very cool. Thanks again, Chris. All right. Thanks much. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to apply this information to your business immediately. This message will not self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, agents.